0: This guy's methodical, exacting, and worst of all, patient.
1: He's a nutbag. Just because if the fucker's got a library card doesn't make him Yoda. Oh, get all
0: of them man! Just don't stand there. You get the feeling that everything. Man should ever see. No, I do feel all right. None of us feel all right.
1: I have the popularity of it because it's like I said, it gives you the opportunity to really venture out and try things that you might not want a whole glass of. But if you're picking five beers, huh, you know what? Fuck it. I'll try that. Yeah. You know?
0: So yeah, yeah, flights work well for that. All right. Well, let's go ahead and start the episode. Roger that. Here at Discoursers, once again. Uh, my guest here today is Reynolds, and he's trying to convince me to say my name before every podcast. Probably so not gonna be successful. We're gonna, we're gonna try it. Welcome to Discoursers. This is Joey DeLoach. Um, I'm here with Reynolds, and now I sound like a radio announcer. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Reynolds. Here at Discoursers, uh, we have a couple rules. Okay. Uh, for discourse. And we're going to go through those. I might add more later. Okay. Uh, so basically, rule number one keep it civil. Roger Let's that. both get out of here alive. Heard that. Yeah. I don't think we're having a problem with that. <laughs> number two uh, if one is offended or aggravated or, you know, like just generally off put by something, uh, they ask the other person to explain. I don't think we're going to have a problem with that one. Uh, only interrupted the other person is exhausting an answer, uh, going on and on, grandstanding. You know, we both may have a problem with that, I think. <laughs> uh, and uh, be yourself. That's who I want to meet. Roger that. Word. I had a uh, youth pastor who said,
1: I am 100% me, 100% of the time. There you go. What's you're, up? You're from South Florida, man. Yes, sir. Uh, Palm Beach County, 561. Yeah. Not, a, not a native, but definitely a
0: local. So where are you from from?
1: Uh, Ocala. Um, I was born August 19th, 1993, five pounds, three ounces at a MRMC. And that five pounds, three ounces, I don't know
0: if that's true. That's, that's, that's a lot just of going with yeah. it. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Monroe Regional Medical Center in Ocala. Horse right. capital of the world.
0: Right? Horse capital of the world. All right. I did not know that. We met at the Cobble Bar, which seems to be a common theme among the people Absolutely. that I have, I've had on the podcast, uh, with the exception of Dustin, I believe. Uh I met through the comedy scene. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, like it's. I, I talk about this probably almost every episode, at least five minutes of it, but like how awesome that scene is. Oh, absolutely. How awesome the Kava and Kratom scene is, is that it's more, it's not really about getting fucked up. You know, like, granted, yeah. you, can, you can get. Oh. You can get pretty, uh, fairly shwaisty on it, but you're not going to get impaired. Exactly. You know, and you're not going to become some like drunken, malicious
1: actor. Yeah, there's there's no bar fights at a Kava bar.
0: Right, exactly. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, and it's fantastic. I mean, it's every, any given day someone's going to ask you to play chess, exactly, or you know, or or have a conversation about politics or religion or whatever it is. Any of the taboo topics you're not supposed yeah, to talk about exactly. in this company,
1: totally on the table at a cava yeah, bar.
0: Yeah, they're fucking mandatory.
1: Exactly. <laughs> like, you, did you really go to a cava bar if you didn't get into a controversial conversation?
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I I view cava and kratom bars as what uh, cafes used to be. Really, and I view cafes from back in the day as what say like an like an opium den or something would be. You know what I mean? Like it's you don't quite want to go into an opium den because that's <laughs> where like a lot of people got creative shit back in the day. They get real fucked up. Oh with yeah, opium. hang out on couches like lush. Didn't couches. Hemingway hang out in opium dens? I wouldn't I? Wouldn't be surprised. That man was a fucking unit. He was a beast. He was, he was a fucking beast. He too. went and hunted
1: Nazi U-boats out of a little. Flat-bottom boat with a pocket full of hand grenades
0: and a machine
1: gun. Yeah. Like who does that?
0: Yeah. <laughs> he was just out of his mind. Out of his mind. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I mean, even uh, that was after spending a bunch of time in in jungles fighting with rebels and like. All
1: oh of yeah, of shit, he like...
0: contravened the Geneva Conventions like a fucking champion.
1: They had him on war crimes, and he just got away with it. He walked in and was like, I mean, he. <laughs> Like what are, you, what are you gonna do? like yeah. he, I, I don't know how he got away with it. I don't know what the political spectrum looked like back then or how, yeah. how all of that went. All I, I've heard a comedian do a bit about him and they basically told his whole life story and just all the things he did in his life like just absolutely insane. He survived two plane crashes in the span of 24 hours and then said, all right now this third yeah, one's yeah. gotta be the yeah, one Is yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that hardcore man? Jesus, I mean the people wonder why he was just like a, a, a fucking hard boozing piece of shit that didn't, never liked anyone at that point like, do you know what he's been through? Oh, yeah. Okay, well, if you knew what he had been through, then you wouldn't be so surprised at what he is now. Well, it started,
1: I think, back in, it was either World War One or World War Two, where he got injured, fell in love with a nurse who was working in his medical tent. They agreed to get married, so he goes back home at the end of the war to get all of his stuff, and he's gonna move out, I think it was in Italy. He was gonna move to Italy to be with her. Mm-hmm. Gets all of his stuff, moves to Italy, which at the time, you didn't fly your stuff over. You, you probably were taking a boat to Italy, which yeah. I mean, not an easy venture yeah. in and of itself. Gets all the stuff out there and finds out that she's left him for, I think he was a poet or something like that. And it started this whole lifelong, uh, almost commitment to the idea that he needs to leave a woman before she can leave him. Right. And it's why he would continuously, I think he did it like four times. He's probably got like 12 kids. Right, He would have an affair, Divorce his wife, marry the other woman. Right, and that was repeated throughout his life until he was just all alone, living in. I think it was in Cuba where he ended up killing himself, or the Keys.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was Keys, I think.
1: Yeah, the Keys. That's where the Hemingway House is. Yeah. My yeah. sister was going to get married there. Oh, um, right on. Some stuff happened, uh, and we ended up doing it. She ended up doing it in Gatlinburg, which beautiful venue in and of itself. I'll show you the pictures. Right. Um. But yeah, she originally wanted to have it at Hemingway House. I hear there's a lot of cats there for some yeah, reason. A I don't know.
0: He had a lot of cats.
1: Is that and, what it was? I didn't know yeah, Hemingway he had, had a, a lot, of lot of cats. A lot of cats. Okay. You know,
0: and they're still being taken care of. Like it's still they're having babies and like being taken care.
1: of. Oh wow! Of all right, so, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, it's fucking wild, man. You um, would
1: think being a Florida native, I would know all of that.
0: Yeah, but I mean, after you, after you've been through so much shit. Like like um, I was about to say Hitler. Jesus. Oh, <laughs> Hitler was just you know he just misunderstood. <laughs> he was right. just, Yeah, like get the like, fuck yeah. out of here. Uh,
1: uh, no. no one really got it. So uh, <laughs> it all goes back to a liberal arts college thing. Don't ask him about right, it.
0: Right. Yeah. You know what? People just like this fucking paintings. Okay? Everything would've been fine. So that just shows you people. You just got to go out and like people's art, or they'll go out and kill a bunch of people. Yeah. Support your local artists, or they'll commit mass genocide. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so after you, after um, Hemingway has been through so much you you I mean and you you were you're ex-military yeah right so you sort of understand it you understand the fact that when you're in something that's so fucking regimented on death yeah it's regimented on like how to have a good useful death
1: yeah, I at 19 I came to terms with my own mortality and it's like we all kinda know we're gonna die. No one puts active thought into what that's gonna look like, what the repercussions of that are gonna be. Um, and I, I came to the conclusion that dying's really the easy part. Yeah. When you die, you had the easy part. Everybody else that you leave behind now has to figure out how to go on without you. Um, right. at, a, at Kawakazi, we had a girl, Sam. Um, I think uh, in three days is gonna be the anniversary of her death. I might be off on the exact date, but um, she ended up killing herself um, and- Hey, we
0: don't promote. No, absolutely. Kava well, bars here. No, <laughs> <still> <laughs> in the expectation. Yeah. but no, that sucks. That that's that's that's
1: um, Jesus. Yeah. And so the rest of us who were friends with her and close to her knew what a wonderful and inspiring and bright woman she was and what she was going to offer to the world. She said she was in uh, her major was architecture, and she said she wanted to leave her image in the world. She mm-hmm. wanted to leave her impact right. by proxy of a building she would design. Mm-hmm. You know, and so she's got all this stress whatever it was that led um to her doing what she did um we all now had to kind of pick up the pieces and figure out how to go on Um, i had a friend who was murdered a couple years ago um, and granted, that wasn't you know self-inflicted, and it's not anything he would have wanted or did want. Right. Um, but you know, now me and my friends had to figure out how do we go on without this man in our lives who was right. like this giant teddy bear and kind of the um, I don't want to say glue, but he was definitely an integral part of our friend group. Right. Um, and and when I got that news, I was actually leaving for work, um, and I had to go to work. There was no like calling out, but. Um, it was definitely hard going in there, and I was a server. So you know, being a server, you can't be drum glum. You know, up to a table and like, hey, you know, Indeed. you know, you've got to, you've got to be on, like uh, theater majors say, you've, you know, the show's got to go on, mm-hmm. and so you've got to put forth that face that says everything's fine with me, um, and that's that's right. hard to do. Um, well, you and, know,
0: it's usually the the people who end up. I've had four friends and like a, a bunch of acquaintances and like people that I sort of knew. And, They've all, they've all off themselves it's, it's usually the people that give a shit too much you know what I mean yeah like it's it's not the people that don't give a shit yeah. the people that don't give a shit they're fine with with like whatever they're going through yeah sociopaths they, don't care because they don't fucking care well it's not necessarily I'm not necessarily pointing towards sociopaths
1: yeah 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 right? no I know I was just using that as an
0: example yeah but it's, it's the the people who end up killing themselves kind of like the person you just talked about like they were kind of a glue yeah, and like the other person you talked about, like very much wanted to leave an impression on the world. And not necessarily from an egotistical standpoint, but sort of like a, hey, here's a thing. I want you to enjoy it.
1: Oh, absolutely. Please do. And that's why whenever I light people's cigarettes for them, um, you heard me say last night when I lit yours, um, I say Casablanca. That was something he would do if he was lighting your cigarette, if he was opening a beer uh, for you, if yeah, you were yeah. smoking and he, if he lit the bowl for you, whatever it was, whatever it was, if he was doing it for you to begin your action, he would say Casablanca. Yeah. Um, and I think he got it from another one of my good friends who is probably going to be listening to this. What's up, Heath? Shout out. Um, but he also says that, and so it's kind of a way that I carry on um, his memory. Have you been to the uh, 9-11
0: Museum in New York City? No, uh, the last time I was around that area, it was still pretty much rubble. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, uh, all
0: right. Ish, and there was a couple, they were building like a couple small monuments, which I think got torn down and they put a bigger monument.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, it's where the fountains yeah, are now. Right. In the actual museum itself, um, once you go down the stairs, and I won't get into it, it's a, it's a pretty heavy thing to go through. I'm not a, even a super emotional guy, but um, and neither is my mom really um, or my dad, but we ended up going on my first trip to New York City. They go there like kids go to Disney World, you know? So they're, they're always in New York City. Right. Um, but it was my dad's, I think, third time going through and I think it was my mom's second time going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the end of it, like once we got to the main exhibition hall, we kind of saw what we were going to see and we kind of came back together. My mom grabs me. She was the first one to find me. She's like, she just kind of had this very blank look on her face. She's like, hey, are you, you ready to get out of here? And I was like, yeah. And we found my dad and he was like, y'all ready? And I'm like, yeah, you know, it yeah. just kind of all understood that we had taken on as much emotional drain as we could. Honoring and remembering the lives of everybody who died that day, whether they were first responders or if they were just people working a job. Right. Um, and so, like after that, we went to go get lunch before like we headed to. I think it was Laguardia stuff, we were flying out of. It wasn't that or JFK. Over lunch, it, it was just, JFK. Um, yeah. A very quiet, somber. we also there eating lunch, and at the end just of it, kind of eat your food and you know, get out of there. We we all felt that City. emotional toll. You want to? Um, and I had somewhere I was going with that. Museum, right? I was talking about the Casablanca. Um, There is a quote by Virgil um, made out of metal from the um, site itself, from the towers. A guy in Austin, Texas, I believe, was uh, commissioned to to do the lettering out of steel pulled from the wreckage, Mm -hmm. and it's a quote from Virgil that says, "No day shall erase you from the history of time." Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, when I saw that it was and it's surrounded by all these different canvases and they're all painted different shades of blue And I found out it was from an exhibition that they took a bunch of New Yorkers who were there on 9-11
0: And I don't know if you remember seeing the news that morning, but um, I didn't I caught I caught it like three or four days later I was, Wow, I was in a house uh, to where I literally smoked weed all day every day <laughs> And we didn't do anything, and I was like, I'm pretty sure I was selling weed at the time too. Heard. And uh, it was literally just a cycle of just going to sleep high and waking up high. Right, And I remember like three or four days after it happened, I was in a convenience store, and some lady was like, man, that's just terrible what happened, huh? And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? I was like the only American in (laughs) in, in the entirety of America who had not heard about it. And she told me, I was like, what the fuck? Are you serious? Wow. So I went home, because we just played video games, like yeah. Nintendo 64, that gives away my age, but yeah. getting high playing Nintendo 64 and shit, you know? And uh, yeah, man, it was, uh, it was intense. Like when I learned about it, I was like, whole, I'm kind of glad I didn't learn about it right as it happened. You
1: know uh, yeah. what I mean? I'm, I, no, I, I, get, I
0: get where you're coming from. I'm glad from I learned that. about it, Yeah, but I'm not glad that I learned about it. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I learned about it later.
1: Yeah, you know, no, I, I get that. I watching
0: get that. that, like, I couldn't even imagine the torture of some Americans of watching that for like 48 to fucking 72 hours of just consistent fucking live footage.
1: Well, I was living in a Navy town at the time. I was in Kings Bay, Georgia, um, and I was the first one in my family to find out. I had turned on the news that morning. Um, and I was the one who told my mom about it, but a big thing that a lot of people remember if they were watching it that morning, or if you were obviously definitely in Manhattan at the time, um, the sky was just not a cloud in the sky, pure, beautiful blue sky. Um, beautiful fall morning by all accounts. It was, you know, cold and crisp in the air. Yeah. It was accented by this just blue sky right. and with this exhibition a bunch of people who were there on 9-11 were all able to paint these canvases mm-hmm. the color of the sky they remember it being that day and so they're all kind of different shades of blue they're all around the same you know localized color palette but mm-hmm. you know they're all a little bit different from each other and the idea being that we all maybe remember 9-11 a little bit differently. Maybe you had a family member who was in the tower, or maybe you were like me and little kid, I think I was eight at the time, mm-hmm. who was watching it on the news. So maybe we all saw it and experienced it a little bit differently, but we all remember the same base fact of what happened that day. Right. And so it's surrounded by all these canvases that people had hand painted, with that quote in it and I I take that quote to heart with everybody I meet, and whether they're with us or whether they're not that no day shall erase you from the history of time and I do things to carry on his memory like when I light people's cigarettes I say Casablanca right um I think it's very important to um not live in the moment that took your loved one or Mm -hmm. took your friend or took somebody who mattered to you but to remember them for who they were that was a
0: brief moment compared to years and years and years of knowing a person there are much better memories to remember about a person than the fact that they just they 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 fucked up
1: yeah and even with my buddy he didn't you know he he wasn't at fault in what happened to him um he was had violence committed upon him um and i won't get into details just to protect the family and all that yeah um but he had done no wrong he was not in the he was in his home um, so um, I, I wouldn't say that he necessarily fucked up, but um yeah. no, it's definitely it's definitely a, a a flash in the pan compared to the, oh, oh, the oh, amount okay. of time that I knew. okay, it. I was
0: under the impression they killed himself.
1: No, 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 oh, yeah, okay. he was he was murdered.
0: Okay, gotcha. Okay, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. All right. Mm. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, I've almost been murdered a couple times i have two i have two i've had four guns and two knives
1: i've had a i've had a knife um and then i've had somebody beat me pretty pretty bad um a couple broken ribs um fractured nose i had like nosebleeds randomly for like a whole month after that and i never had random nosebleeds and i knew it was because like i was basically jumped yeah so, yeah, I, I definitely don't have, uh, haven't had guns in my face yet, but, um, you know, fingers crossed that doesn't happen.
0: So. Yeah, yeah, I was, that was actually robbed, uh, I wanna say about eight months ago. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was walking home from Kung Fu, was I in here in Tallahassee. Wow. It was on Bruno Street, right over here, right on the other side of Tennessee. Is that how you say that? I guess. Bruno Brownow? I, I don't know. I, I, I try not to pronounce it. I have zero fucking clue. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And so they, they came up and they were a bunch of kids. Yeah. Couldn't have been definitely not 18. They okay. Somewhere around 16 and 14, my guess. Uh, it was kind of dark, but three of them, only one of them had a gun. And they took my shit, which was like an iPhone SE, which you have, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I wasn't really worried about. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean?
1: exactly. Yeah, I mean the trade-in value on it's it a design. great phone. Don't get me oh, wrong. Yeah. It's
0: super small. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, so they robbed that and my wallet, which had no money in it. But <laughs> I was I was directing them through the robbery, right? So because they were young yeah. and I had already had I already been robbed three, four times. <laughs> yeah, this you was this
1: you you've yeah. been to the rodeo a couple so times. So
0: I was like, all right, guys, what you're looking for is my wallet, and my phone. You know, and they were like, Yeah, 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 that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And And hey, by the way, you with the gun, aim it like at least put it in my face, something. Like try to try to look tough.
0: But I had just come from Kung Fu and I was all hyped up and shit. Yeah. Man. I was hyped up as fuck. And uh, because I had just I had a bloody fucking lip and shit from that and I was all hyped up. Oh yeah, you get beat up. And uh and and I was thinking it's like you get that gun a little bit closer. Just a little bit closer. (laughs) But he never did. But um, so they take my wallet, so, so they go to, I give them the phone and, they, and I pull out my wallet and I go, hey guys, do you mind if I pull out my license? I don't wanna have to replace it. Yeah. And they go like, cool, that's fine.
1: Gracious, gracious robbers.
0: I keep, I keep my debit card behind my license. So I literally pull both out at the same time and put it in my pocket. Look at you being slick. So I hand it to them. I was like, I said, my, not my first fucking rodeo. Yeah. There. And they fucking take off. They 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 run back over like the the right way down. down a one way street, Bruno Street. And uh, they they I guess I can't see their car because it's in a parking lot over there, like across from birds. You know, okay. Right? Like yeah, it's, yeah But yeah, it's yeah. a parking lot. You can't really see from where I'm at. So I don't I can't see their car. So I just start walking back to my house, wrong way down Bruno. Right. Yeah. And uh, I take the fucking debit card and I throw it behind a tree because I realize that if they realize that there's no debit card, they might think that I took it out or whatever and it's not going to be And if they come me. back and bomb rush, it. Right. Yeah. So I start walking down the street and I'm, I'm almost to this next corner and a black car, like sedan-style car, races past me the wrong way with no lights on down this one-way street, Bust the left real quick, right in front of me on this fucking corner and I think to myself... They're gonna kill me so i immediately pull out my knife which is you know this one right here it's like all black you know so yeah. you can't really see it so i had it in my hand and i was like you know like if i'm going down i'm going down fighting yeah you do not go quietly yeah. into that good night all three of them get out dude's not pointing the gun at me or anything and i literally i didn't try and run i didn't try and do anything i literally walked toward him and i was like 10 feet away from you him. were hyped and i was like i was like i was like what's up and the fucking dude who had been like the ringleader with, yeah you know he didn't have the gun but the the ringleader guy who was like a cowboy literally has my wallet in his hand he goes i ain't even trying to lie bro i'm not robbing you you broke as fuck and threw my wallet back at me right hit me in the chest i catch it and i go well thanks <laughs> put it back in my pocket <laughs> and the dude and i did no shit <laughs> like, I couldn't even make this up if I had fucking tried. Uh, he goes, have a good night. Be safe out there. And he wow. gets in his fucking car and drives away. <laughs> granted, granted, they still got my phone. Yeah. So I'm not super happy about it, but at least I got my wallet back, yeah. and, you know, with a bunch of like whatever was left in it. Yeah. I, I opened the wallet and there was a $1 bill in there they didn't take out. There was a $1 they didn't even take my dollar. <laughs> oh my god. That's that's insane. I literally walked home. I used an iPad to erase the iPhone SE cuz I didn't want to track it yeah. or anything. I didn't even call the police. Yeah, like what are you gonna do i was like because i didn't see the license plate or anything yeah you know what i mean what am i supposed to say like three young black guys with twisties in their hair in a black sedan yeah you know what i mean like that's not gonna do no yeah I mean. exactly so you just described half of tallahassee yeah exactly it was half of fucking most cities you know yeah I mean? exactly like, it's a cultural thing that's yeah what black. a lot of black kids are doing you know yeah. and uh yeah so i just went home and i fucking erased the iphone and i went home with my life <laughs> i was like whatever, like, whatever. that's crazy <laughs> yeah
1: so, let's get into it. We started talking okay. um, with uh, behavioral or um, moral wait, psychology. Wait, who's
0: one this podcast, asshole? <laughs> hey, Jesus. look,
1: I'm just trying to take over, take after Roman. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go ahead. <laughs> um, so, I know we started talking about psychology. Obviously, you now i psychology major at FSU. Right, yep. Um, I want to get into um, clinical psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, looking to get my master's, I believe is gonna be the next step. Okay. In the evolution. Um, So you're working on your bachelor's now? I am. I'm one semester away from graduating. Okay. Um, And like I said, I want to get into clinical psychology, um, which is the way it was explained to me is if you do counseling psychology, you can only do counseling. But if you do clinical psychology, you can do clinical, which I guess involves working like in hospitals and things like that. or you can do counseling. So you can do both um, mm. only if you do clinical psychology. Okay. So uh, the goal is clinical psychology. Um, I have a big heart for veterans um, that, and that, that's the target group I wanna work
0: with. It won't you, be ex- uh, but you, you wanna work with mostly at wartime?
1: Yeah, wartime that PTSD. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's what I really want to focus on. Um, a lot of guys are losing their lives um, in a kind of metaphorical and literal sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the statistic they say it's 22 a day. 22 veterans a day lose their lives to their to their own hand. Is that um, is that do you know if that's mostly or female? Do you know like the statistics? Breaks down by gender. Um, right. I know that um, men are more likely to go through with a suicide attempt um, and successfully commit suicide, mm-hmm. um, more than women, statistically speaking. Um, but the statistic itself is actually a little bit misleading. Um, it was done in a, the 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 fact came from a, I wanna say it was 2012 VA study they did, mm-hmm. Veterans Affairs, if you don't know what VA stands for. Yeah. Um, and out of that, they say 22 veterans a day kill themselves. What they're also factoring in, though, is also active duty and reservists who kill themselves.
0: Right. So it's not... Veterans. So it's
1: yeah. it's not totally 22 veterans a day. Um, right. What they found out is it's more like 18
0: veterans yeah. a day. Um, but still, I mean, like, yeah. even if you count on all that and that's 22, that's still fucked up.
1: Oh, no, absolutely. That's 22 more a day than we need to. Yeah. Um, and so I... You know, you look around for a while um, and, and you say, well, you know, someone's got to do something about this. Someone has to do something about these these veterans that are killing themselves. And then you look around and you don't really see anybody doing anything. So then you eventually realize that
0: somebody is you and you've got to be the one. Wow. yes. I, I, I not only agree with that 100%, that sentiment, that if you see something wrong and no one's doing anything about it, stop bitching and try and do something about it. I don't only really agree with that 100%, I agree with that as a universal concept. Like it is a universal concept that I think more people should should definitely embrace. That I mean, I, I was telling you and I've told to other people, that's the reason I started this podcast.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's for, it's for discourse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you saw a problem, you saw people not really being able to have civil conversations whether or not they agreed or disagreed Mm -hmm. um and and you told me that's why you started doing discourses and i am grateful for it i have loved every podcast i've gotten to listen to i've listened to most of them there's a couple i haven't Mm -hmm. um i've yet to finish and then a couple others that i i need to get to um with finals and all that it's been hard but um yeah I, I definitely have loved every single episode. Every guest has had something interesting to bring to the
0: table. And I feel the conversations have been uh, meaningful and impactful. Indeed. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It was weird. It was, you know what? We're not going to go off on that. That's like an egotistical, like stroke, <laughs> stroke. <in my> ego. <laughs> We're not going to go off on that. But what we are going to do is go back to what you plan on doing, because we keep getting sidetracked, what you plan on doing with your master's. Okay. Yeah, and I believe you said something about uh, psychedelics as well.
1: Yeah, um, I'll, I'll definitely get to that. Uh, what I what I want to do, like I said, is I want to eventually own my own practice. I don't. I don't. I'm not naive enough to think right out of school with a master's I'll be ready to open a practice. But I do believe that down the line, um, having gained experience working for other practices, that will hopefully allow me to pursue my passion mm-hmm. while working for them. Um, that i will eventually be able to own my own practice that's that's definitely
0: an eventual thing yeah in the beginning it's not
1: yeah exactly how you
0: want it but mm -hmm. you work towards that
1: i would yeah if if i could get right out of school and just go hey new business I'm my own boss and I'm doing you know we'll see the clients I want to see and we'll do what I want to do but that's just that's just not realistic and if it ends up happening by all means I will I will be very grateful for that but you know like I said right out of the gate I'm probably going to be working for practices Um, the good thing about it is with an education um, and with with psychology you really can't just get a bachelor's like there's some jobs you can definitely get with a bachelor's in psychology Mm. and if that's what you want to do then stop there. Do not invest the money for further education at the time. If, right. if if you find what you want to do and you can do it with a bachelor's, by all means. Right. Um, and it's kind of why I'm a little bit jealous of other majors like business. If I could give a rat's ass about numbers and and you know, all that stuff, yeah. I would I would do a business degree in a heartbeat. Cause with that, you, you get a bachelor's and you can get basically any job you want. Right. But with psychology the bachelor's in psychology to most jobs is gonna say, "Oh, so you didn't really know what you wanted to go to school for? You just needed wanted to get a degree." And probably, if you're you know 18 straight out of high school, what it probably means is you just want to go to college, get drunk, and you know, get laid yeah. and do that for four years before you go and get a job.
0: Yeah.
1: Which is another thing I'll touch on later: um, trade schools. Um, but. Um, Yeah, so with psychology, definitely, like, it it just looks to people like, oh, you didn't really know what you wanted to do, so you found what you thought might be an easy major and went with that. It's kind of like underwater basket weaving, gender studies, all that stuff. Not to say that they don't have their place, but... Was that from PCU? PCU? Yeah, the move. So it means that if you're going to commit to psychology, you really need to go that distance with it and find out, is it master's level you're after? Because with a master's in the state of Florida, you can own your own practice. Right. Um, or you're eligible to work for a number of different um, career fields within psychology. Um, is it a PsyD, which is a doctorate of psychology? Um, so it's kind of like, it's like a, a I don't want to say quasi-doctorate, but it's not PhD level. Like if someone says I have a PsyD, like they definitely went for it and they definitely had a course load significantly higher than probably what I will experience with a masters. Uh and not to say that later on down the road, I might not be working for some. We need someone with this ID. You seem smart enough. We'll pay for you to get the keep working us for us for, you know, four more years that or whatever, would be you know? Bill. Oh, I'll that would that, that would be, that, yeah. that's the dream, to get yeah. somebody else to foot the bill for your education. Yeah. That's why a lot of these 18, 19, 20 year olds are just happy to have mommy and daddy's money paying for their education. Right. Cause you know, s- screw it. If I fail a class, mom and dad are just gonna pay exactly. for it again.
0: But if you show that you're capable and you're competent and that you can actually bring something positive to that business, of course they're going to pay for that. That's an, oh, yeah. It's an investment.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my buddy's even said uh, he's working for Milwaukee Tools um, out in Lafayette, Louisiana, um, and they're going to eventually pay, I believe. His goal is to get them to pay for him to go back and get his master's in business. Word. Because I don't know the specific area of business he went into for his bachelors. Um, but he's got a good paying job, he's got a good apartment, they gave him a company truck. Yes, like, he's pretty set. They sent him to Milwaukee for like I think either a week or a weekend yeah. and he was talking about all the great things he got to see there. The guy I knew in Tequesta who was afraid to kind of leave that bubble would never have had these opportunities. So it's why I said if I could do a bachelors I absolutely would in something that I could do. A bachelor's for but I just I there was no other passion and there was no greater purpose that I saw for myself other than psychology and working with veterans these are men and women who have signed a the, the way a lot of ex-military in the way that a lot of military supporters will put it is you sign a blank check when you enlist right you sign a blank check yeah. and the maximum amount that that check is good for is your life yeah the um, ultimate end of all things. I mean, at yeah. 19 years old, I was in boot camp and I had to sign a will and I had to figure out what amount I wanted that will to be for. And Wait, did they, they, they make policy. you do a will in the middle? Uh, all right, so I didn't necessarily, it's kind of a, again, a quasi will um, where you just kind of decide who your money goes to. So maybe that's just part and parcel of life insurance policies. Right. Yeah. I'm not in insurance, so I couldn't tell you. Right. Um, but I had to, at 19 years old, go. Okay, I'm security forces, there's a chance that my job goes into combat and there's a chance that in that combat that I could die. Right. So then, in the event that I do die, you know, at the time I had a girlfriend I was very much in love with, um, I was even, for a period of time, hell-bent on marrying her.
0: Um, yeah. I, I mean, had... that kind of PTSD is worse than military, though. So... <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um... Yeah. So, you know, I had the girlfriend and, you know, I thought, you know, if I die, I would like this hundred thousand dollar policy to help put her through college. Right. Um, I had my parents to think about who would need to pay for funeral costs and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I had sisters who I would want to see do well in this life. So now who gets what amount and who, you know, and I'm having to sit there and think about who gets money in the event that I die. Yeah. you know and so it doesn't really hit at that moment because honestly when i was doing that i was probably on 72 hours of no sleep we would just gone and gotten our military id pictures mm-hmm. i looked like hell they told us not to smile for our military id pictures and i thought do not worry in the last 72 hours you have killed any will in me to smile there is nothing <laughs> right, good in right. life anymore what have i done why am i here please god yeah, yeah, get yeah. me out
0: yeah i have no idea where i'm at i'm not gonna fucking smile oh yeah no i know and i literally
1: had no idea where on base i was yeah. like i just got in there and when when we got there. It was on a bus, and so so funny story. Actually, um, when you're leaving your recruiter station, you go to what they call Meps. It stands for Military Entrance Processing Station. Okay. And when you go there, you go there twice, really. You go there one time, and it's where you get your vision test, hearing test, um, drug test. You see a doctor to make sure you don't have any plates in your body or things that you're lying about. Right. There's a room where, like, they tell you explicitly in the instructions for Meps wear underwear because. Fun fact, I don't. I go commando all the time. Right. Um, granted, that didn't start till after I got to boot camp because it's less laundry I have to do. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But. So they tell you explicitly wear underwear because you're gonna have to go into a room where everybody strips down to their underwear and you have to like get on your toes, squat down on your toes, put your hands on your hips and waddle like a duck. Um, and I don't really know why. <laughs> I know there's gotta be a medical reason for it. And I'm really hoping it's not just some doctor's sick fantasy. Yeah, it sounds like a fetish. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like fetish, like, yeah. like seen on browsers kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: Yeah, that's that's like the dark web shit right there.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, So (laughs) you go to MAPS and they they run all your testing and then after all of that is done, you swear in. And that is you saying that now, I think at that point, you're punishable by the UCMJ, the Universal Code of Military Justice. At the point that you swear in to defend this country against all threats, You'll both foreign, AWOL, and domestic, foreign and domestic, that you are now legally held to your desire to serve.
0: So before that point though, you, you know, like there's a point to where you can sort of opt your way out?
1: Yeah, I you guess. can kind of tell your recruiter at that point, like before you swear in, like all right. Look, I know we did a lot of talking, and I'm sorry to have wasted your time. But I just got this job offer for this, or I realized enlisting's not for me. Whatever right. it is, uh, because you haven't you haven't signed on a dotted line anywhere. Right. But the moment you walk into that room and you put your hand up and you swear before God and country that you will obey the lawful orders of the officers appointed above you, which one thing that really bothers me is people get this twisted a lot. They think that like, if you're given this command, this came up in my moral psychology class. Okay. Um, when we were talking about the stages of, uh, we, we talked about Krebs's twist on Kohlberg stages. We right. said stage one was the something of the military, where we said that if you're in certain social situations, that's how you would behave. Right, But it's not right, about right. cognitive processes, it's about just social right. situations situation. Between right and wrong. Yeah. Yeah, Um, And just how how a moral person or how you should behave in those. With um, my professor discussing stage one um, behavior of the military where the the kind of keynote on it is you're just there to follow orders. Right. He made the example of if you have an officer and he tells you go into that village and kill everybody and rape the wives that the military you're just following orders and that's what you do. Are you in Vietnam? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not gonna get into we're not gonna get into Vietnam. There's just there's nothing good about what we were doing there. We got right, our asses yeah. handed to us by rice paddy farmers. Right. So when people are like, well, what would you do against the military with a gun? Yeah. Well, uh, fucking Vietnam. Do you mm. want to watch some flashbacks? Right. Yeah. um So
0: <laughs> and listen to the Rolling Stones. Like, yeah. Exactly. Come yeah. Yeah. Basically, video. no.
1: Just you hear all along the watchtower, just twenty four seven on loop Yeah. Yeah. But he he made this example that if 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 you do that. You're just following orders and I had to put my hand up I was like no I can't let this whole class think that that's and I had to explain to him lawful orders of those appointed above you have you right. seen a few good men
0: yes that was with uh, uh, Jack Nicholson the truth you yes. can't handle the truth right. you need people like me up on that wall and that's actually true, true. that's actually true yeah yeah you can't
1: just do something and go, well, I was told to do it. Like if some, if you enlist tomorrow and an officer tells you, hey, go into that village and just kill everybody you see. Doesn't matter if they have a gun or not, man, woman, and child, kill all of them. You're Anakin Skywalker in episode three. <laughs> and these are sand people. The men the and women. the women too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the women and children too. No, um, if you have an officer who tells you to do that, you go, sure, right away get the hell out of that tent and go find his superior officer and go you might want to know what yeah. sergeant thompson's up to over here because i think he's got american psycho on exactly, us
0: exactly yeah you know i think he's pretty close to apocalypse now I'm not yeah sure, exactly but, exactly yeah
1: so you can't just go in and do that you need to tell somebody and then they will handle that you if you follow that order you are just as guilty as the man who gave you that order. right
0: yes yeah, so
1: yeah. it's not just if you're given an order you do that but you're supposed to follow the lawful orders of the officers appointed above you yeah so you know you go to Meps, you go into processing you get in you go to boot camp for me it did not really set in that this is something that could literally end my life until I was in the combat school portion of the schoolhouse, the academy for security forces. Mm -hmm. And we had just gone out and done some field exercises that day. And you know, we were playing with, you know, blanks, ammunition, all that. So nobody really died. You know, nobody was mortally wounded. But you kind of start to get this idea that, you know, you can be shot at. yeah, you like, um, they they talk about the snap that you can hear Mm -hmm. in your ear. And if you hear that while you're in combat, it means that a bullet just went past you. You're hearing the subsonic speed yeah, pass yeah. by you, yeah. and what it's that a really, sonic boom? Yeah, basically. and what that essentially means is you were one dust particle in your nose, causing a sneeze from a chew bullet in your head. Right. Like that's essentially what that means when you hear it, or when you're seeing dirt kick up and all that. Did like, you?
0: So did, did you go? And we're we're very much straying off. But what the fuck ever? Who Who cares? We're going along with the discourse. Did you did you have an did you have an issue with that? Like the the whole acceptance of mortality, was there like a like a like a grace period there, or were you just so fucking tired that you just you just went along.
1: No, because it was on a weekend. I remember uh, my buddy had given me the controller he was playing, the Battlefield 4 that had just come out. Okay. And he handed it to me, and I kept dying and kept dying and kept dying. And I thought, I don't like this. This is a little bit too real right now. Right. Handed it back to him, stepped outside, lit a cigarette, and I sat there, and I just kind of thought about it. I'm like, dude, I could die. Like, it hadn't really clicked with me at that until that point. Right. And then I started thinking about it, and like I said, I came to the conclusion that dying's the easy part. And realize that like I Kind of knew that going in, Mm -hmm. you know, like no one joins the military and thinks you're guaranteed survival I had a MTI during boot camp who was an electrician During a deployment as an electrician set there to like set up base Wi-Fi and set up a movie theater for guys during their downtime Ended up having to join a mortar team three times and on four different occasions had to pick up a gun and shoot at enemies He could see Yeah, that's how danger close they were. Yeah. Yeah, As an electrician. Yeah. Okay, like. You're almost a potato peeler at that point, far away enough from combat.
0: Exactly. But he
1: still even himself had to pick up a gun and fight. Yeah. So you're never guaranteed your life. You could be payroll, but if you know Russia drops in out of the sky, you're military, you got a uniform on, pick up a gun and fight. If
0: Russia dropped out of the sky, Red Dawn type stuff. It would be fucking Red Dawn, but instead of like I don't remember, it was like eight eight kids or whatever it was, instead of eight kids, it would be half of Tallahassee. It would be half of Tallahassee, it would be a shit ton of people with guns going like, man up. Let's right, do now, it. right now,
1: right now, if this it. were to happen, you and I are running down to full Mars, busting open the window, breaking in, grabbing yeah. guns, grabbing ammo, yeah. and and we're operating. 100%. Like 100%. So, so I don't think it really bothered me that I could die. I think it was kind of a like the moment you realize you can die and then you start translating that into I could walk home tonight, or you could be driving me home, or we could be going to the Kava Bar after this, and yeah. a car could T-bone us and both of us die. Yeah. you know, yeah. It's you can die at any time. The moment you realize that, and you really realize that, like I think if you tell that to anybody, they'll be like, "Oh, well, yeah, of course, of course, I know."
0: Yeah, but you don't. But they really don't know.
1: think about it. Yeah, they, they don't know. process that. Right. And that's part of the problem with like PTSD, mm-hmm. is these guys have come. Brushed up against death itself. Mm-hmm. And even worse is what they call survivor's guilt. Is let's say you and I were deployed together, right? right? And we'd been best friends for years, and I saw you get married right out of boot camp, and you had a wife and a kid, and we're deployed together now. And my whole job is to make sure you get back and then you catch a round or you dive on a grenade. Right. I have no wife and kid. You know, I have my family, but I don't have my own family like you do. But I held you in my arms as you handed me a letter to your wife and said, make sure she gets this. And then that was the last thing you said. Like, and then I have to come home with that. Mm. And then a lot of guys sit there and go, why am I the one back here? Why is he not the one back here? Why is she not the one back here? Um, And that creates a lot of uh, resentment of self um
0: what is that what what is that called within the 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 psychology uh, we, we typically refer to it, as far as my knowledge takes me, as survivor's guilt. Okay. It is okay.
1: guilt based on the fact that you survived, as the name implies. Right. It is literally, you're here, that person isn't. And whether or not they had a family, it could just yeah. be your friend. But you loved them so much, why couldn't you have been the one? And I think part of that you also-
0: should have been good enough to, to, to save them. You should have been good enough. You were trained enough. You should have been good enough.
1: So you don't just go through combat school and all that one time. You don't go through convoy training. All that one time during that academy. Mm -hmm. Anytime you're about to deploy, you go to pre-deployment school. So if you're going to like Japan, pre-deployment school just looks like, hey, here's customs and cultures for that region. Right. And make sure you drive on the correct
0: side of the road. It's more an ambassador thing at that point. It's 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 more or less. Be ready but be an ambassador in a way. Like
1: but if you are going to get deployed to Bagram. Mm-hmm. Air Force Base right outside of Kandahar. Right during spring, which I don't know if you ever heard of the fighting season. This <laughs> fighting, like people stop fighting during the winter. No, 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 no. Fall, it's like... called the fighting season because so you have your tribe, your group, your extremist organization, whatever it is. Y'all need to get guns, right? And y'all need to pay for training and food, and you need to pay your soldiers. Uh huh. How do you do that? You grow drugs. So you plant Opium. your crops, reap your crops, then you take them to market. Right. To sell your drugs or trade those drugs for guns. The problem is, you get a bunch of other different groups that all hate each other. Right and they're in this localized, like imagine if every MS-13, the Bloods, the Crips, everybody from everywhere in America came together to sell drugs and sell guns and buy and sell drugs and guns right. in Tallahassee, almost overnight. Yeah, This place would turn into a war zone. Yeah. Now, instead of the military, like they would be overseas, you have Tallahassee Police Department, Leon County Police Department, Sheriff's Department, all that. That would be the standard for the military in this analogy. And so while they all hate each other, they all also hate the cops. And the military the military is the cops in this yeah. scenario. Yeah, yeah, So all these tribes hate each other well, and they're they going trained, They haven't
0: trained troops within that specific area to sort of like like uh, local police or, or... That's a lot of what we're doing right now, to my right. understanding, yeah. and,
1: and I will always say, and I've said this a bunch so far this podcast, I will always say to my understanding because I don't want to be the voice of authority. Right. Somebody yeah, yeah, else yeah. might be listening and they'll I mean, go, well, no, been, he's got it totally wrong. Well,
0: that's been happening since we initially fucking landed in Iraq and Afghanistan is that we've been trying to train but the thing is it's difficult to show them that there's a long hard path ahead of you and you're going to be broke cuz we can't pay you your government's going to pay you but they're only going to pay you a little bit and when you have these officials and and military uh, personnel that you're training they're going to take bribes because they have to feed their family and they're only get they're getting paid by a fucking government that has no money. Yeah. It has no money, so it's paying them jack shit money.
1: Well, it's 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 not so much the economics, I think, that we're focused on. Part of boot camp, for example, is the reason MTIs yell at you, DIs, DS, whatever branch you're in, you call them different things, but the reason your drill instructor yells at you is they create what we refer to as the suck.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, have you ever heard the phrase, uh, Smooth seas never made great sailors. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, you're not a going. Port, a ship at port never created memories or things. Yeah,
1: like that. yeah. yeah. You're not going to create cohesion within a unit in an understanding that everybody else that you're going to be enlisted with has all gone through the same thing. We've all been through varying degrees of hell with our instructors and with the things we had to do with getting smoked by your instructors. And by the way, getting smoked, for those who don't know, is, is when they P.T. the shit out of you. Right. You are just getting worked. We with had... Fucking hamburger meat. Doing yeah. burpees. Um, Like we had to do burpees in enclosed barracks in the middle of summer with no... OAC people were puking doing burpees right and our MTI I was like I didn't say stop keep going that yeah. you know and so you're just continuously you know doing this PT stuff push-ups burpee sit-ups whatever it is that they deem necessary you're getting smoked or when you go to the chow hall should you dare turn around because the green gelatin jello looks really good with your with your lunch if you dare reach for that What we call the snake pit, which is all the MTIs for that barracks building. I've heard
0: that from multiple. Are going
1: to jump down your throat. Roman can tell you about the snake pit. He's come toe to toe with them a few times. Right. I was the type of person during boot camp where all the buddies that I had were like, anytime I got picked, singled out by an instructor, they would be like, oh God, Reynolds, do not mess this up. Please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Then, like, any... Keep your
0: fucking mouth shut.
1: <laughs> no, but any time they'd ask you a question, because they ask you a lot about like, like who's the commander of the three hundred and forty third TRS? Who is your you know, drill sergeant? What's the uh, maximum effective range for a point target for the M4A1 Colt carbine assault rifle? Right. If you could not answer these questions, then they would smack the jello out of your hand and right there on the floor, you'd have to start doing PT god damn but if they hazed you and they came after you and they asked you all these questions and you just (laughs) rattled off the answers they go all right keep it jello move on nice (laughs) and so anytime i got singled out whether it was grabbing jello from the cooler or i just happened to be in a situation as always happens with me i'm always in the wrong place at the right time
0: so you did the opposite of roman Roman's basically was to socially engineer a situation to where he was on top by being a smartass and strategically planning within the specific rules of the military how to win. You just went, I'll just know it. Yeah, exactly, that's the only gift I have is my ability for
1: memorization. Right. (laughs) So because like when you're waiting to go into the chow hall, you don't just all enter as one unit into the chow hall. Right you get called in by your row in formation and then you enter one at a time and then you go through the line and then you get told one at a time where to sit and what row to go down. So while you're standing outside, let's say the first row got called and they're waiting for them to get far enough down the line that they can call the next row in. You stand there with what they call your study materials and you pull out this piece of paper and it's got all the information you need to know and you've either filled it out yourself or it's printed there what the M4 looks like and then all the information for a point target or an area target, the M9, the M4, all that stuff. and you're just studying it and -hmm. you just stare at this piece of paper and you're just standing there holding it and whether you're like just nodding off standing where you are because you haven't slept or if you're really studying it like that's the information you need to know. And that's one of my skills is I can sit there and if I look long enough at it, I can create a picture in my mind and I can pull, like I can remember what the paper looks like, like what the sheet looked like yeah. of my study materials. I can remember what the basic BMTG, basic manual training guide.
0: So do you, do you think that skill helped you to the point you're at now? Because you you know specifically what was asked what was uh, demanded. You, you memorize all this stuff, so you know, going into the psychology field, wanting to take care of veterans, specifically wartime veterans, you remember what it was like during the training. So you can kind of know what the conditioning is for the people. Now, you, don't, you might not know what it's like to, you know, for an IED, explode in front of you. Yeah. But you all but you do know how they were prepared for it. You know all yeah. the psychological conditions that they put into people.
1: Yeah. Because here's the thing, um I know guys who who just made it through boot camp and then once they got to their their tech school they either failed out due to physical reasons they got hurt or whatever or you know they just said at that point i'm tapping out i'm done can't do this anymore right. or they did something to get them in trouble and get kicked out whatever it is Even those guys who only made it through boot camp, they're forever different from the rest of society. Exactly. They train you to think differently. There's things about being a veteran, and I don't know that I would necessarily throw somebody in. And I barely consider myself a veteran. I only did two years. Even still, I I did make it active duty. I I did go to post, I did do things. um, But it definitely
0: affected you quite a bit, like even with the two years, because now you're dedicating an entire fucking years of your life. To try and fix a problem with the people that you were serving with, and that you that you saw every day as, as human beings who were who were formed into this thing to ac- accomplish something.
1: No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think part of it came from you know my dad. He's ex-army and he he served very well he got out as a staff sergeant I believe you know as a kid I was hanging out in Blackhawks because we'd go on base to see dad and you know we'd hang out in helicopters or we'd go to functions with his his military buddies then you know being in that Navy town you know especially during 9-11 I remember seeing vehicles running through town because you know we didn't know being one of I think three nuclear sub bases in the country it wouldn't be a far stretch to imagine that we could be a target and then being military myself. It's definitely created a passion for people that I see as, you know, we, we have like Marvel and you see these superheroes and they can do incredible things. Have you ever watched any kind of documentary, like uh, the History Channel right now has a series called The Warfighters and I highly recommend it. Okay. But it's these guys who went and served in combat scenarios, the representative, I think he's a congressman from my district back home in South Florida, Brian Mast. He was EOD. He went army as a civil engineer, part of that job entailed blowing stuff up. So he said, you know what, I'm going to go explosive,
0: EOD. Explosive. Explosive Ordnance Disposal.
1: Yes, sir. Yeah. EOD technician, Explosive Ordnance Disposal. Um, and those are the guys who stand in front of everybody else because a lot of EODs have the chance to be attached to a Ranger unit. They mm-hmm. won't be Rangers themselves, but they will go in with Rangers. It's
0: kind of like the Marines with the Navy where they have the medic and all that stuff. Yeah. So they like sort of yeah. outsource in a way.
1: Yeah, Yeah. He was on a deployment. He was part of Task Force Merrill and they were assigned to basically kick the hornet's nest during like 2010. They were going into areas that had not been recently visited by any kind of opposing force. Right. And they were in there to literally go and get shot at. Yeah. Um, and so part of that is, we don't know if there's explosives in the area. Sergeant Mast, attached to this unit, and you're gonna be the one to go find explosives when they're doing these you know nighttime operations. Yeah. Um, and an accident happened, Brian Mast got his legs blown off. For me, he took that and bounced back and came back from this horrifying experience as I can only imagine and is now a congressman for Florida.
0: That's dope.
1: I do not necessarily agree with all of um, Congressman Mass's yeah. policies but to take, there are some people who go I lost my legs, my life is over. Fuck it, I'm done. Yeah yeah. and, and then they live this what was me kind of life. Yeah. And, and Dan
0: Crenshaw is a uh Yeah,
1: Dan Crenshaw as well, yeah, he's definitely one of those people. For me, that's a superhero. People who will walk into hell with their buddies and with people that they say there's no closer bond you'll have than you'll have with people you served with. And Mm that stands for special operations or your basic infantryman who's a a ground pounding grunt, you know, just with the army, you know, or a Marine.
0: You know, the reason that I originally became a a, uh, EMT is because I read a lot of comic books and I wanted to be a superhero. I literally wanted to be Spider-Man was like my ultimate thing. But Superman would do, you know Yeah. You know, Spider-Man was more my speed. Yeah, but you know, not to stroke the ego. Yeah, yeah, not to stroke the (laughs) ego. But Spider-Man was more my my speed. And then I thought about Batman. And I was like, all right, what did Batman have to learn? And so I thought to myself, I was a pastry chef at the time. Okay. And I'm sitting there putting together creme brulees and all this other shit for people who, they were serving shit out there on the menu that didn't even have a price on the menu. Wow. Okay, I lied my way into the job. Wow, mostly. I had yeah. also a friend back me up. You know, yeah, I was working there as well. I kind of figured it out. I went from that, and I was thinking to myself, like, all right, this is totally not useful. This whole foodie thing, all this is, I hate it. You didn't feel like you were doing anything. Exactly. I wanted okay. to. I wanted to affect culture at large for the better. Okay. So I decided, all right, what if I become Batman? What if I become Spider Man? How do I? How do you do that without superpower? Me and my buddy Adam were talking. And he goes, what if we start a school where you learn firefighting, police, EMT, and military all in one school? And I was like, that's awesome. The first thing we should do is go be an EMT. And I was like, all right, word. So, of course, that's a high ideal, you know what I mean? Like, you can't learn all that shit. I mean, you, you possibly could learn it in one lifetime, but it's it would be rare. Yeah. It would be fucking rare. You'd be stretching. Yeah. We go to EMT school. He drops out three quarters of the way through. I finish up. Wow, to come so far. Yeah, and I finish up, and I ended up getting into that shit hard for, like, six years. And then I realized, as I was going along, that every superhero, like, when I when I view a superhero on film or comic book or whatever, I automatically think about their PTSD. It's just an automatic thing. I think to myself, like, Spider-Man has lost so many people. Yeah. And Spider-Man has not saved so many people. And he tried his best. Yeah. And he just could not it at certain points you know and i realize that now because i've seen people die in front of me i've seen i've seen the the gore the the people that were fucking bloated from being in a lake or being in a house or whatever for a long period of time and to see that you realize what toll superheroes take but then you translate that to real life superheroes you translate that to people who were going out and affecting the world, whether you consider it like uh, just greats like, uh, like like Martin Luther King or, or Gandhi, who, you know, had some problems. Yeah. Maybe, maybe with younger girls. Just saying. Maybe. But he did a lot of great things yeah. for India. Just saying. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, y- you take a lot of those people that had this singular vision with this passion and they go forth and they want to be a superhero and they change the world. There is a toll on that. Absolutely. Like you you, you don't come out the other end of that okay. No, not at all. And that's that's what that's that, that's the same thing with enlisting in the military.
1: Well, I wouldn't say no, I won't say not at all. Um, like with Chris okay. Kyle, he found a way to help veterans who are suffering from PTSD. Right. And he took a skill set he had as the most decorated american sniper in u.s history he knew i know how to handle a long gun
0: yeah well wasn't there like a controversy about him somehow like he uh, he said something in his book that might have been a lie or something i don't remember
1: i won't get into all that um because that's that's a rabbit hole in and of itself i've heard differing statements i don't know enough about it myself i will say that when he came back his wife said basically i need you here I need you to be a part of our family again because I'm tired of raising these kids by myself. Right. And I'm tired of not having a husband You know, basically. Right. So when he came home, he realized he wanted to still help his brothers and sisters, so he took people out long gun shooting. And I don't know if you've ever been to anywhere where you could do long distance shooting, but it's it's it it takes you out of everything. You have to think about windage, bullet drop. Right. If you're shooting out past a certain distance, you have to take in what they call the Coriolis effect, where the rotation of the earth. So if you're firing a bullet here, in the distance it travels, in that amount of time the earth is rotated, pulling the target target. Uh, so you then have to account for your location and your orientation.
0: So, so it's a distraction based on what you already know.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's why he yeah. did what he did. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, it led to the end of his life. But that's his skill set. Right. My skill set is I'm very good with people. I have a heart for people. I enjoy talking with people. It's how you and I got to know each other. Right. So I knew I had that skill set. I knew I had a heart for veterans. I need to get into psychology and I need to figure out how to make this work right and one of the things that I've come to find I've actually spoken with a professor um, who taught my moral psychology class Mm -hmm. Um, him and I sat down in his office one day and it was about reviewing an exam that I didn't do as well on but it kind of like with us kind of delved into we started talking about psychedelics in the psychology realm, right? and how you can use that to help veterans. And one of the big fields that are being studied right now is the use of psilocybin, Mm -hmm. which is the active ingredient in what we call magic mushrooms. They're using this, I want to call it a technology, because technology is nothing more than deriving materials from the earth for use and purposes that they may not have been originally intended for it. Like gold. Yeah. We originally used it for currency. Right. But one thing we use it now in uh, your laptop has, yeah. laptop has it. My laptop has it. you know, computers, currency PlayStation's, TVs have gold in them. Yeah. We mushrooms probably were not originally created to be consumed. It's no.
0: part of the decay process. But there process. is that but there is a stoned ape theory. Stoned ape theory? Yeah, with Kenna. Uh, he was a he was a psychedelic. Yeah, yeah, like I this, know, I know Terence yeah, McKenna. Yeah, Terence, Terence is what it is. Terence McKenna. He uh, he came with a theory that when the monkeys were evolving to like lose less hair, they were becoming more upright. That they ended up taking psychedelics, and that actually created our abstract mind.
1: I appreciate and can enjoy the idea. I like to, and obviously this is a little bit ironic coming from a man of faith, but I like to work within what we can prove. And so while that would be fun to ponder on, what I do know right now is the studies that my professor was showing me. Because the way that I had perceived it was you would go to these inpatient facilities, and they're using veterans who were not responding to CBT, which we discussed, cognitive-based therapy. It's where uh-huh. you get people to change their minds and their views on the world, the cognitive aspect of themselves and the world around them, right. to alter their behaviors through therapy. Uh-huh. And one of the big problems, one of the, not problems, difficulties with CBT is, you can't just tell somebody like, let's say you came to me and you had a problem. Chances are with a subjective view, I could tell you within a minute what your problem is and how to fix it. Right. The thing is, no one ever learns from being told. Right. You have to kind of guide them through specific questions. It's and getting them to have to answer questions that help them realize that maybe what they're thinking is wrong or maybe they're on the right course, reorient a little bit. So these are veterans who are not responding to CBT therapy mm-hmm. and they're also not responding to DBT therapy, drug-based therapy. They've been through, they've, they've given them Prozac, they've given them all these SSRIs, they've given them all these different drugs, they've gone to different therapists, they've seen psychiatrists, none of it's working mm-hmm. in order to save their lives. They recommend them for these very exclusive, and I mean, they are very, very exclusive trials where they're taking the worst of the worst cases with veterans and they bring them to this inpatient facility. And for a few days you go, and let's say I'd never met you, you and I spend a few days, we, we set aside a few hours, um, and I'm sure maybe there's some counseling in, in between all this, but the main focus is you and I. I come in, I get to know you a little bit. We share stories. I don't have to talk about what scars me. I don't have to talk about the friend who died in my arms. I don't have to talk about combat. I don't have to talk about any of that. If I want to, I can, but I can just BS with you. Here's right. the kind of guns I like, here's the cigars I smoke, here's how my wife is, look at pictures of her, look at my right. kids, you know? Yeah. We get to know each other. Do you like
0: that new Netflix series? Like, yeah. Simple, sh- simple shit. Yeah.
1: yeah, so we get to know each other, and then after a certain amount of time, I think it's anywhere between three to five days of getting to know each other and building that rapport, uh-huh. then you come in and they go, so, you know why you're here? You're here for psilocybin treatments, and they give them a legitimate dose. They don't micro they don't you know, wean you into it, They give you a full on, I think it's like five milligram capsules of concentrated psilocybin. And the whole reason for building that rapport is... Where, where, where do I join
0: the military so I can get this?
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, either that or we can just call your frequent gunpoint holdings PTSD and get you in on it. Right, right. You'll just have to go through another couple years of seeing therapists yeah. and doing drugs to get you on to doing a drug. Right. That yeah. we could probably go down the street, ask somebody, and they know somebody yeah, who can It's had.
0: a drawn-out process, but yeah. it'll yeah. work. Yeah. yeah, it's a roundabout
1: way. Yeah. On that day that they set... They come in, are, are, are you ready to do this? And the whole reason for building rapport is you, that person is essentially what we call their
0: trip sitter. Mm-hmm. You know? Baby, well, babysitter is what we called it, yeah.
1: Yeah, babysitter, yeah. trip sitter, whatever it is. Yeah. It's in case on this drug that chances are a veteran probably hasn't taken. Yeah. If they had, they probably wouldn't be there. Yeah. And so they say, are you ready to do this? And they go, all right, you know, I'm, I'm as ready as I'm going to be. And then they give them the dose and they, they, they take it right. and then they just kind of wait and they let the person experience it, do what they wanna do, if they want the lights turned down, if they want a TV show put on, whatever whatever they wanna do, while they are in that altered state, the trip tripsitter's yeah. there to help them do it. If they wanna step outside and grab a smoke, the trip sitter goes with them, whatever it is, yeah. they go with them. And then the trip ends, they go to bed, You know, maybe they do it one more time, but then in follow-ups, the big key point of this is not the trip, it's in follow-ups, in a six-month follow-up, most participants, Uh, If they did continue seeing a therapist, they, on average, did it for only about two months after. After that, they were kind of like, I I really don't need to, and this is the six-month follow-up. They were kind of like, I really didn't need to see a therapist anymore. And so I just stopped seeing them. And they're like, well, how's your life? Well, you know, my wife moved back out of her parents' place. We're back together. I see my kids now, you know, and I'm actually holding down a job as opposed to before. You know, whatever whatever it was, the difficulty that they were facing right. is no longer an issue. And they don't have this negative outlook on life anymore. And the way that I see it is it almost restarts their dopamine system. Yeah, because yeah, imagine yeah. living a life where you are on constant adrenaline. And the only way to trigger that adrenaline is getting shot at, right? Imagine having to experience an emotional high instability by getting shot at. Yeah, what if you could restart the mind and I'm not saying this is exactly what it is This is how I see it and maybe the the research shows something different But I think it resets your dopamine system. Okay. It allows you to enjoy things again you the the reward, the reward reward centers of your brain right are started again Yeah, and so now you are able to enjoy things you're able to go out and live a
0: life again the reward system that you were just talking about um as far as the, like resetting dopamine basically yeah. which is which is the reward system yeah, in a way uh, that's actually been proven with uh quitting smoking as well that that that's the 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 top way the most assured way that people have quit smoking has it yeah
1: I, i'm not familiar with that yeah, that's far, also something that i'll have to look into
0: as far as the the percentage of people who have quit smoking with the with, with that particular method.
1: So in other words, just get everybody to take a trip and nobody smokes again? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, everybody would be way better off. Boy, oh, better yeah. Off. Now, yeah. can you imagine Donald Trump on shrooms? That'd be awesome. Dude, I want to see what his Twitter feed looks oh, like on shrooms.
0: God. Oh, my God. I would love to hang out with him. While with he does shrooms? Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, Do you yeah. think he's
0: done shrooms before? Uh, he's probably done a lot of drugs. Like do you think he's wolf of Wall Street level though? But oh yeah. You think um, so? used to be. Used to be. Used to
1: be yeah, younger to be. younger Trump. Dude, I do, can see
0: that. When you get handed that much money when you're a kid, come on. Really? You're going to do every drug and every woman under the sun.
1: Oh like, yeah. No, I I yeah, I agree. I agree yeah.
0: with that. And I'm sure like he didn't he didn't do mushrooms or acid like me or you do mushrooms or acid. Like if we were, let's just say. Like we're 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 definitely in the people that question things. And I'm
1: I'll, like- I'll fully admit, I've done mushrooms. I've done, okay. yeah. I, I've, I've had a, a life, I'll say. I've, I've done shrooms, I've done acid, um, I've done, you know, a list of other things. You know, some I'm proud of, some I'm not. One thing I can say, though, is that having experienced those, I guess, moments, mm-hmm. to, 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 to put it gently, I definitely agree, and obviously, obviously I agree that with the research that's been done, this is this is the first time to my knowledge that we are genuinely looking into a drug that will actually do benefit right. to people. Mm-hmm. The problem is we're not legalizing it. And one of my big problems with that is where in the Constitution or the Bill of Rights do
0: you see any addendum to drugs? Not a single motherfucking point.
1: Where in the Constitution do you see the Founding Fathers saying, we want a free country, but stay away from the naughty,
0: naughty drugs? Yeah, uh, nowhere. Absolutely. Do, do you think the Founding Fathers smoked weed? I'm sure, I'm sure Benjamin Franklin smoked weed. Like, he was a dude, he literally walked outside in a lightning storm Flew a kite. And Is tried. that true though? Because I've heard that, that that's not it entirely sounds true. Like, I mean, the guy invented so much shit, he was very much like, you know, Einstein, right? Einstein used to walk out of his house in his underwear because he didn't think about okay, normal age. But you know things. Einstein was autistic yeah. as shit, Yeah, and I'm right? sure Benjamin Franklin was. And I'm very fucking sure anyone who comes up with that many great ideas, they're on an autism spectrum. It's happening. Like they're not, they don't use processing power for normal social interactions. They use processing power for like solve problem, calculate, do thing, you know, they they figure out that thing. Yeah. That's what they do. They don't focus on the system. Well, aspect.
1: wasn't Franklin super involved? And and I, I I'm probably gonna embarrass myself here. Wasn't he involved with the founding of the country? Yeah, absolutely. So you're telling me that he was both technologically and or well, we won't say technologically, but scientifically and politically intelligent. Yeah.
0: And he died of syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch. That's what gets everybody. Uh, uh Vlad the Impaler died yeah. of syphilis. Or it could have been gonorrhea, but either way. Like, yeah, either way, he really. was
1: drinking people's blood, yeah. so really, what does it matter? He's yeah. just lucky HIV wasn't around.
0: Right. With the psychedelics, you're, you're trying to suggest that a all the people that don't the psychedelics, they know the power of it. You know what I mean? It changes your mind, like it opens your mind.
1: I want to disagree with that point real quick. I don't think okay. everybody who does, because I'm sure you've met the Wooks who do nothing but go to raves and they live only for the next festival, which I personally see as kind of a sad way to live life where the only time you experience happiness is when you're on a cocktail of drugs, listening to just boosted bass, and and don't get me wrong, like I do enjoy some EDM music and I've got plenty of friends in the EDM scene, some of who are probably gonna listen to this just because I'm here and they'll Mm -hmm. probably, by virtue, end up listening to the rest of the podcast if they enjoy this. Um, nobody does, but I, even I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but they—they they live basically just to see a performer and do a lot of drugs, right? So I personally do see that as a a, a sad way of living,
0: but it's people's choice. Let them well, that was, that. For, that was me for that was B for. Probably about a decade.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm not saying I didn't but I go was do,
0: But I was doing, I wasn't doing like festivals. I was doing, I was like helping throw parties where there was a generator in a warehouse when EDM was like way underground. And also gives away my age again, I'm um, 40. But I was throwing like underground shit and d- just so you're 40 you were born in uh 89 79 79 yeah i'm
1: terrible with math yeah, that's, that's that's not one of the skills autism I, I am
0: as well that's why i didn't bring it back. um
1: <laughs> but you know edm and and, and and electronic dance music as we know it came from the gay rights movement right
0: i would say it was a mixture of the gay rights movement and a very tribalistic community oriented feel of music A lot of tribal music throughout history. Okay, so you're not talking
1: in the sociological term tribe. You're talking in the genuine definition
0: of tribe. Like throughout the history of mankind. Okay. Like we we had beats that were a heartbeat. Yeah. That is a universal concept. We can all understand a heartbeat. We can all understand boom, 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 boom.
1: Which I think is at 70 BPM. Is the average beats per minute of a heart is that is that about right,
0: Mister? Yeah, somewhere like seventy-ish area. Yeah. So
1: therefore, seventy BPM music because you can tell the difference between seventy BPM and one hundred and forty BPM even though they're almost mirrors of each other. Right. And this is all stuff I learned um, working but, with DJs. But they actually drive the
0: heart rate up. Is that if you're, if you're listening to one hundred and forty, and it's to mimic the heart? rate. They then rate,
1: control the heart rate. It of controls their the
0: heart rate, right? Exactly. Have you seen that
1: movie, um, We Are Your Friends? No. It's um, a really good movie with Zach Efron about EDM music and being mm-hmm. a DJ with very little to do about drugs. Like, I know that Netflix came out with like XOXO, and that was just basically
0: understand that the EDM
1: scene is all drugs, and I don't think that that's fair to the DJs and fuck the producers.
0: That. Fuck that movie. Yeah. I'm just saying, yeah. I haven't even seen it, but fuck that movie. You want to watch two movies that describe the rave scene? Groove. Which was like an indie film that actually had Bill Paxton in it was fucking phenomenal.
1: Anything with Bill Paxton.
0: I'll and watch. traffic. I
1: traffic. Seen traffic.
0: Was, traffic was a great movie. Um, it was a little on the more like Groove was more like centered on the underground. Uh, groove was more like as it as it surfaced into the regular culture. Okay. But it was still it was still pretty good. But you're using you want to use psychedelics to help people. Sort of delve into the In specific own... specific psychedelics.
1: Uh, okay, so, I don't want I don't want to okay, send right. people to an ayahuasca retreat. Right, 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 right. Which I want to do personally. Oh, I I, do. I, I definitely want. To do I would like love to try that. Yeah, I'm absolutely. just not eating for 24 hours so, before
0: it. Right. So, uh, so using uh, psilocybin mushrooms with the therapy. Do you think that? Uh, do you think that kava and kratom? is a good alternative to that. So it creates like a kind of mind-altering, but not really. Like it's only ever so slight.
1: It- I, I disagree with the ever so slight statement. I do okay. agree with your general premise. So okay. um, one of the things that I found um, when I decided to stop drinking for a time was I really enjoyed kava bars, in large part due to the community that we discussed beforehand, mm-hmm. where, where we're all kind of a family in there you know everybody who comes in i I defy you to find one kava bar a genuine true kava bar where if a stranger walks in who's never been in there before will not be approached by at least one person from that bar and be like hey never seen you in here before my name's so and so who are you you know yeah. like and that's happened every time i've walked into a new kava bar yeah. um, i had the uh honor of being able to go to uh kava sutra in new york yeah because kava sutra is from my own backyard it started i think in lake worth is where the first kava Sutra's from right um and i'm sure the guys at midtown um can give you the full rundown oh
0: especially charlie oh
1: especially yeah. charlie yeah um but i think uh like i said to my knowledge um, the first Kava Sutra was Lake Worth. Then they kind of grew from there. Right. Now outside of Florida they have one in New York and they have one in Colorado. I think it's in Denver. Um, but the one in New York City, New York I got to go to during my family's trip to New York City. They gave me a, uh, a time during our like last full day in New York to be able to explore and I knew exactly where I was going. I went and wandered for a little while to to get the feeling of being lost in a big city which I really enjoyed. but. After that, it was all right. Now let's pull out Apple Maps and find where's Kava Sutra. Right. And I
0: went straight for it. So you haven't, so you haven't found a cava bar like a real full-on meant to be a cava bar. Usually kratom involved. Yeah, you haven't found one of those.
1: I think you could say kava bar, and I think you can say kratom bar. Yeah. But I don't think you need to say kava and kratom bar because you don't get points for a redundancy. Right. We'll just go forward implying kava and kratom. Right. But yeah, I have not found one kava bar that has not had that atmosphere of we want to know everybody in here. I tell people all the time, especially like my buddy... Um, who, if in editing we could erase his name because I don't want to point him out. But, you know, people who are moving to new cities, if you really want to make friends, go find a Kava bar. Go find a Kava bar because there you will meet genuine true friends who really, really care about you and want to get to know you and will make sure that you feel accepted there. I do think kava and kratom would, a, a kava bar, would be a good idea for a lot of my clients because a lot of veterans, you know, the easy answer to turn to in times of difficulty is alcohol. And, and the military has a huge alcohol culture, you know, it's because I think in part, at least to the fact that you're not putting military bases in metropolitan areas, right? You know, you're not going to be able to afford the landmass to put a runway or barracks or just any general base in a metropolitan Miami, West Palm, Orlando, New York city. You're going to be placed in these far out of the way, small little towns where there's nothing to do. But drink and fuck yeah and that's one thing military regardless of branch very good at doing right (laughs) any any veteran or any active duty who are in any kind of job can probably tell you yeah I get off work and unless they got married straight out of boot camp they're single they drink with their friends and they find any woman that'll give them time of day right there's a big Alcohol culture. While you're in, right. now that you're out, and now, that, especially now that you're, you know, feeling alone, now that you're separated from your brothers, you know, yeah. you're not seeing them every day like kava you did while you're in. Cava bars are a great replacement for that. kava bars would be a good place to a re-socialize and realize you can find people who do not mind your dark humor. I mean, we sat on posts some days and thought about NCOs and officers that we didn't like and thought, like, all right, if we were to go into combat. I wouldn't mind friendly firing right. this person, you know. <laughs> right, 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 and now, right. obviously, we did not mean it. Like, obviously, right. we're not going to actually pull a trigger. Yeah, it was all yeah, said yeah. in jest and joke. None of us were actually homicidal towards our leadership, but yeah. it was just kind of the joke. Like, we—it it, it was meant to say we really dislike. Well, this once leader. you
0: accept death as a joke at that, yeah,
1: point. exactly. Yeah. Once you accept death, everything's a joke. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like Rick Sanchez. He's yeah. accepted that there is, you know, in his reality, there is no God. There's no purpose to life. It's kind of like Morny said nobody exists on purpose. We're all going to die. Just come watch TV. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, just do what makes you feel okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we would all make jokes about it, and we'd be like, well, dude, if I die, but it's in kind of a pussy way, can you at least, like, go to my funeral and tell them it was in, like, a, like, like I died a badass? Right. Like, like right. if I get killed being T-boned in yeah. my car, could you tell people, like, I died getting hit by a car while I was fighting off a gang of, like, Hell's Angels? Right. You know? Like, could yeah, yeah. you, you know? So we all joke about it. It's, it's sort it, of it, Valhalla death,
0: you know? Like, it's a... Yeah. It's definitely, um, like, in the, in the in the hallway of the warriors, you know? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. You, you want to go out people thinking you died a warrior, not yeah. going to Walmart on a midnight run for your girlfriend's candy bar desires. Right, or tampons. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, whatever it is. Which, by right. the way, side note, completely off topic, guys who cannot swallow their pride and go buy their girlfriend's tampons should not have a girlfriend. If you cannot with confidence go, yeah, I'm buying my girlfriend tampons. I'm lucky to have a girlfriend. I love this woman. I'm I'm lucky she's not
0: pregnant. Yeah, exactly.
1: Like if you can't go to Walmart and buy tampons or pads, just break up with your girlfriend, divorce your wife, whatever it is. You just don't deserve it. But back to topic, with Kava Bars, I think it would be a good way of re-socializing and finding a, a new tribe in the sociological perspective Right. Um, finding it's almost a new like group like having to belong a new squad. With. Yeah. yeah. No, and that's exactly what it is. Yeah. That is exactly what I feel every time I walk into Midtown. And I'm hoping we're there tonight, later yeah. on
0: tonight. Oh, we're going to go there. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So because I feel like when I walk in there as opposed to, I won't name them, but other kava bars that I've been to in Tallahassee, I felt like, and been given the punishments thereof, of having different opinions. Right. And there's, there's a lot of kava bars, and I won't say even right. a lot, there are Kava bars that are more liberal in their operation, you
0: know. And when it comes to a more liberal population of a bar or a place, there's less room for talk about... Things that matter. Well, I'm not going to say things that matter because there are some things on the left that matter. It's it's more a denial of reality. It's an ideal. It's a utopian ideal yeah. that, that that is pervasive on the left. And granted, I've told you this before, I'm center left. Yeah. So I sort of do a little left, which is weird that we, well, I won't say it's weird. I, I definitely, well, you're definitely center, right? Like you're, you say you're right, but you're, you're center, right?
1: And well, what I mean by it's kind of weird is I've yet to find something and maybe it's just because you're center and you're open to the conversations, um, that you and I have not found something to this point that we, we severely disagree on. Um, and, and maybe I'll attribute that to being center, but even, even all that together, I believe that getting these guys with therapy you know, they're seeing me, they have a a immediate relationship to somebody who has a vested interest and their best interest. Mm -hmm. Because uh, one thing that people tend to overlook when going and looking for a therapist is this is a finite relationship. And it's also a relationship. Right. It's almost dating somebody to see a therapist within professional terms. You are seeing somebody who you are going to open yourself to, you're going to be the most vulnerable version of you, if it's going to work that is. Right. You can go see a therapist, not say shit, and then what did anybody get out of it right why are you seeing a therapist if you're not going to talk right you know Uh, which is why i'm more or less for and against group therapy because i think it kind of makes people have to be vulnerable not just with one person but with a whole group and
0: that's a lot harder to do yeah um, yeah. We actually but, had a discussion with Leah about AA and how yeah it becomes a contest. Oh, in a there way. was so much about yeah. uh,
1: Leah with with her talking about AA where it's like you have to admit you're powerless. No, you're not powerless. You can absolutely stop drinking, but to it, it kind of passes the buck. Right. But I'll, I'll leave that for another time. Right. Getting into cava bars first of all, like I said, resocializes them. B. Have you ever tried drinking after going out to a night of kava or kratom?
0: It sucks. It's terrible.
1: You put one beer down and, and you're puking. Yeah. Like just Kava and Kratom with alcohol don't mix. Yeah. It, it's just a fact. Yeah. It will keep them from drinking and yeah. it'll also provide them something that. I know I feel my best and I feel my least depressed and my least anxious and my least worried when I'm having some Kratom chilling out at Midtown. Yeah. You know? And so to provide my clients, male or female, whoever, with that opportunity of something that's still very, very not mainstream. Yeah, no, very no. few Absolutely people, not. if any, are talking about Kava bars.
0: This is this is the version of what we're looking at right now with like Kava and Kratom bars. It's very reminiscent of the beat culture to where people were trying to find their own way and they were doing like kind of these weird things like smoking weed and like no that nobody really did all these other things they're trying to find a way to re reconnect like it's a bunch of lost people trying to reconnect and they're trying to reconnect because they've been so fucking pushed out from culture itself like all of culture they get pushed out to the outskirts And then they go all right well is there anyone else out here in the outskirts because it would really suck to be here by myself
1: well do you think it's that people feel pushed out from society or do you think it's that people kind of happen upon kava bars because my introduction my introduction to kava came when i decided i was going to stop drinking for about a year and one of my buddies was like dude i'm sick of going out you're not drinking i am and I'm the only one, quote, having a good time. Right. So he's like, look, we're here in Clematis. Clematis Street is to South Florida, to West Palm. Like essentially take every bar in Tallahassee and put them on a three block right. stretch. Right. Mm-hmm. It's where every every bar, every club that you would want to go to is in South right. Florida. There is one Kava bar right on that Clematis Street strip called Taimana. Right. And then there's another one off Clematis called Purple Lotus. I was introduced to kava by going out with my buddy who, like I said, he was tired of me not having anything to drink. He took me to a kava bar. He didn't drink because he was already drinking. right? But introducing me to kava, I liked the way it made me feel. I liked the company that I was in while I was there. And the person explained to me that it's got that reverse tolerance aspect. You know, I'll give you a double for the price of a single. And you're a veteran, so I'll cut that single price down.
0: Well, the reverse tolerance is a massive deterrence from going too far you know what i mean like like with alcohol it increases as you go along so you have to drink more and, yeah. more, and more and more and more yeah but kava let's say like three shells of kava is your 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 mainstay for like three weeks a month
1: i wouldn't even say that long i would say if you were going 5 days a week to a kava bar which I would not say even is a problem. No. Because there's a there's no addictive properties to kava or kratom. And with kratom you don't well, even have the reverse tolerance or you don't have an increased tolerance because it doesn't bind
0: Physiological addiction.
1: Yeah. There there can You be can be mentally addicted yeah. to anything. You could right. be mentally addicted doing this podcast where you never leave this room and you're just
0: always talking. Why, even why if are you might be just calling me empty out like walls. That. I never leave this room. <laughs> why are you calling me out like that? I literally stay in this room. and wait for people to show up. <laughs> but no,
1: you can become mentally addicted to anything. You can become mentally addicted to brushing your teeth. You right. know, there's no addictive properties physiologically right. to it, but you right. could become mentally addicted to it and some might even argue that that's OCD, but you know, yeah, yeah. and conversation for another time. Right. So there's no physiological addictive properties to Kratom mm-hmm. or Kava. Right. And so you're then making a choice because you want to go there because I think most people who go to Kava bars would explain that You know, the product is secondary to the culture and the people there. Right. So now with the ones that I've been kicked out of, that's the culture though that they go to seek. The culture that I go to seek when I go to Midtown, I see Roman who has been there for me at my lowest moments. When I am feeling like the world is crap. Roman is right there to grab my hand and go, brother, you're not fighting this fight alone. Let me be honest with you about things I'm going through. And you can understand
0: you're not alone in this. Exactly. And, and then and being alone is the worst thing oh, that can ever happen to you if you're in a bad place.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's why like, we see comedians killing themselves because comedians are performers. Yeah. And you think that performance turns off once they leave the stage? No, they grew up feeling the need to get attention by being funny. then that's how they got attention. Yeah. The only time I see a problem is when it becomes a hindrance to somebody's life. They want to be with people, but they feel that no one wants to be around them, right. or that they're a bother to people mm. through their mere presence. Yeah. That's where kava bars come in for veterans yeah. is, Maybe now we have found an outlier with Midtown where there are veterans who are running the business. So veterans don't have to feel alone. Right. Even without that outlier, right. veterans can walk into a Kava bar in most places. Let's take FSU. Like we mentioned before, most kids are there to get drunk, do all that stuff, but then finally the FSU students are going to the Kava bar near GVO they're there because they don't fit in with that crowd of people who just want to go get drunk and go you know do all those I don't want to say miscreant but you know they' they're, they're just not invested in that lifestyle people who come to Midtown are now because it's so out of the way especially like as for me an FSU student I walk three and a half miles there and I walk three and a half miles home every time I go to Midtown right but I walk that distance because the reward center my brain, allows me to feel connected feel accepted and feel like there is nothing i can't say shy of the couple rules that midtown has uh which are reasonable rules like reasonable. like with pedophilia like yeah. you mentioned something like that yeah. yeah you can get the hell out exactly yeah unless you're saying pedophilia is disgusting right i feel that that is a great outlet or could be a great outlet for veterans. Um, and that's what, that's something that I would have to try on a case-by-case basis. Maybe this person is like you, where they enjoy their solitude. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you know their experiences in the military and deployments and all that affected them in a way where now they treasure their time alone because they never had that. They were always either in the barracks where they were roomed with somebody or they were on deployment and they were roomed with somebody. And so now the precious few moments they can get their time alone is where they feel happiest. By all means, pursue that so long as it is not detrimental to your mental health. In general, I would say, yes, kava bars are absolutely a place I'm going to recommend because also science has shown kava and kratom are uh, antidepressants and anti-anxiety. Yeah. with prolonged use, not on your first try necessarily. right? right um, and maybe right. you will, maybe you won't. It's kind of like when people told me that it's reverse tolerance. The first time I tried Kava, I had that double shell, like I told you, at Temana. Uh Within 30 minutes, I was at the next club we were going to with my buddy and I was like, ooh, I yeah. kinda like this, yeah. you know? It's definitely something that I would recommend before getting to psilocybin and before getting to those kind of treatments. Right. Um, and then a lot of people have asked me like, well, you're not gonna be PhD, you're not gonna be a psychiatrist, you can't recommend people something I've been told you know wink wink nod nod is that if I were to say as a mental health professional I cannot recommend you do drugs however if you were interested in this course of treatment here's a pamphlet with some information right
0: you know yeah yeah, and
1: direct them in that area
0: it's a shame that you have to slide that under the table because when it comes to something so severe, there should be no limitations on what should be tried. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. I think the only thing,
1: because psychology's kind of been an undervalued field for a very long time. Even with kids, like we used to think kids could not feel depression. Did you know that? Um, In my abnormal child psychology class, I learned that we used to say depression was adults only. Mm -hmm. Kids can feel depression, it just gets exhibited in different ways. So kids will uh, you know let's say their parents are getting divorced and they're like 3, 4, 5 years old. They right. know mommy and daddy aren't together anymore. Right. And so, you say, so you're
0: saying sense. we should give them mushrooms. That's what you're saying.
1: Yeah, give the kids mushrooms. No, absolutely not. That I think that's how you fry a kids brain.
0: Right, right. All right, we're going to wrap it up. All right. You fucking outlined a lot of shit that we should definitely pay attention to. PTSD, the, the, the use of, of, of specific psychedelics, psilocybin.
1: There is uh, one thing I would like yeah. to bring up. Um, yeah. If you know a veteran or have a family member who's served, There are hotlines, there are resources that veterans can reach out to if they are feeling depressed. I'm not currently in the mental health profession field yet. Um, It's something, like I said, I'm aiming for. But if you, I wanna say if you are a veteran and you're listening to this, there is a VA crisis hotline. Uh, The number is 844. 3951271. You can talk to a professional any time of day, 24-7. Doesn't matter if it's Christmas Day or New Year's Day, Thanksgiving, whenever it is, if you need to talk to somebody, I highly encourage if you're a veteran to reach out. And then if you're just, you know, the average person, you know, who's not a veteran. Find your local here in Tallahassee. We have big bend, you know, wherever you're at, wherever you're listening, if you are feeling depressed, reach out, find help. There are people who are working those lines who are not just doing a job. They genuinely care about your best interests. So if you're feeling depressed, reach out, call a hotline. If you're a veteran, call that number I gave, um, and
0: and make sure you carry on the fight brothers and sisters. Awesome. Yes, absolutely. Please do because trust me, Whatever you're going through, you're not alone. There are other people who know a, all. They, maybe not exactly, but they're 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 able to target around the general area of what you're going through. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it, Joey. There's thank there's you for heavy having end, me on. Hey, I loved it. It was a pleasure. Absolutely, thank you. Indeed. And that's it for Discoursers. And as always, go fuck yourself.